Thoughts and actions based on truth and righteousness are far more powerful than emotion. This is the third message in the series, Raising Resilient Kids and Adults. The message is entitled, Say Yes, Say No, Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O. Shields. We're involved in a series of messages entitled Raising Resilient Kids and Adults. And the and adults is important because you can't raise resilient kids unless you're a resilient adult. And so we're looking at the whole principle of resiliency in our lives. Resiliency, and I'll define it for you again in just a moment, but it's a very important characteristic for success. If you, just, if you uh, do any research regarding people who are successful, people who achieve things in life, or people who just make it through life in a way that's meaningful and has a purpose, a sense of fulfillment, you'll discover that these individuals are always individuals who possess a level of resiliency. It's extremely important in your life and in my life that we build resiliency and that we also build it into the lives of our children. What is resiliency? What does it mean to be resilient? Here's the definition that we're using in this series together. Resilience really is the capacity to withstand and to recover, to rebound, we might say, or to thrive in the face of adversity and challenges. It's the ability to bounce back, to handle things that are difficult, to handle stuff that might be presented as hard in your life, and to do so without damage or without being deformed in any way. I've used the illustration and continue to use the illustration of a basketball when it comes to resilience. And a basketball has a certain dimension of resilience. It bounces back when it hits something hard. And anything that it hits, it comes back. Why? Because it has the right shape. It's shaped the right way. If this basketball were oblong or shaped in some other fashion or had bumps on the exterior, obviously when you bounced it, it wouldn't bounce straight back to you. And it's also resilient because it has the right amount of the right stuff on the inside. It has the right air pressure inside. You deplete some of the air pressure, what will happen is it will fall flat. It will not bounce back. And so every athletic ball, a soccer ball, a basketball, it's resilient because of the, the fact that it's shaped the right way and it has the right amount of the right stuff inside. The same is true for you and me, and the same is true for your children, because life is filled with adversity. All of us realize that there are times in life that life doesn't go the way that we would like for it to go. Sometimes we hit a hard road in life, and it's extremely important that we know how to bounce back. There's something inside of us, and we're shaped the right way so that life does not destroy us. I talked in this series the first weekend about the fact when it comes to being a parent, You'll never be able to prepare a road for your child. You can't pave the road for them so that life is going to always be easy for them. But you can always, as a good parent, prepare your child for whatever road they are going to experience in life. You need and we need to prepare them to be resilient. Let me add this as well. You might say, well, pastor, I'm here today. I'm not a parent. That's okay. We all have a responsibility, first of all, to ourselves to be resilient, and we all have a responsibility to the next generation. Whether you are a parent or not, there are people coming behind you that you will have an influence upon in your life, and teaching them and showing the example of resiliency is quite important. Why? Because the destiny of your life and the legacy of your life will be determined by how you handle the tough things in life. 
The destiny of your life and the legacy of your life is going to be determined by how you handle things because things come our way. Hard things happen in life. Resilient people handle them the right way. Resilient kids learn to handle them the right way. Last weekend, we talked about one of the ingredients. We talked about how you build a life of resilience. And one of the things that you want to put on the inside is the spirit of gratitude, an attitude of thanksgiving. Someone that's going through life looking for the blessings that are all around them rather than always looking for the tough things that are coming their way. They have an attitude of appreciation for the blessings in life because gratitude is a superpower. Gratitude really is a, is a secret sauce to life. Gratitude changes everything. You can be going through the most difficult stuff in life and have a grateful spirit. It's amazing how that will transform your emotions and how it will actually, as many doctors have proven and researchers have proven, it actually changes your physical body when you're a grateful person. But this weekend, we're going to look at another ingredient. We're talking about the different ingredients to resiliency. And this weekend, there's one particular word that I want to draw to your attention I'll put it on the board because you'll never be resilient without this word. What is it? Discipline. Discipline is vital to resiliency in life. I'm going to share with you three things. This is going to be a two-part message, and so uh, we'll come to when we come to the end uh, this weekend, I'll put a comma, and we'll continue next weekend so you're not, you will not get the full sense of the study of discipline without being here for both weekends. So I would encourage you to make plans to be back weekend, next weekend as we do part two of this message today, part one. The first thing that I want to share with you about discipline, it may seem a little strange, but you'll see the connection in just a moment, and that is this. Morality matters. If you don't get this point, you'll never understand discipline because morality is a key part of discipline. Morality is an acknowledgement, an acceptance of the fact that certain things are right and wrong, certain things are good and bad, certain things are better and best. Let me stop again. What is morality? Morality is the acceptance of a fact, the acceptance of a reality that in the world in which we live, there is such a thing as right and wrong. There are certain things that are good and certain things that are bad, and there are certain things that are better and certain things that are best. And morality means that we're pursuing right over wrong. We're pursuing good over bad, and we're always pursuing better and best. A moral person is someone who has a sense of morality about their life. They're going after right, good, better, and best in life. They're pursuing that. Now, here's a fact. It doesn't take a lot of brains to figure this out. All you need to do is just pay attention to media today and pay attention to, to, the, to the, uh, con the, con the continual theme that we see in our culture today. Our world today is in an ever-increasing erosion of morality. There's an ever-increasing erosion of a distinction between what is right and wrong and what is good and bad and what is better and best. It is eroding all around us. Our world is evolving into a place where there are now very few external standards of right and wrong. Even the definitions of what might be right and, right and wrong are changing in our world around us. The acceptance of what is okay and not okay has been turned on its head. I look at our world sometimes and I think, has everybody gone crazy? 
That all of a sudden, we're looking at a world that I oftentimes don't even recognize because even the basic standards that we've had for many, many decades, many, many centuries, in fact, in fact, millennia throughout history of acceptance of what is right and wrong, good, bad, better, and best, seem to be degrading in our culture today. Now, what I'm saying to you today has zero to do with any kind of politics. It has everything to do with the Bible, okay? This is important for us to understand, okay? Because please remember something. As a Christian, what you want to be as a Christian believer is someone who's living their life based upon something that goes beyond yourself. That's the Word of God. You build your life not on what the Republicans say or the Democrats say, but what God says. Because the last time I checked, Jesus... Jesus is the Savior, amen, okay? Politics are never going to say. So this is not in any way, shape, or form meant to be a political statement. But what I am telling you today is we're living in a culture where there is an erosion of this very thing, an erosion of morality that is the definition of what is right and wrong, what is good, bad, what is better and best. And even as that erodes, there is a lack of the pursuing of that which is right over that which is wrong, that which is good, over that which is bad, that which is better, and that which is best. Let me stop for a moment. Does everybody still love me? Okay. I'm going to be, listen, just so you know, I'm going to be okay if you don't. Okay. Okay. But I just want to make sure we're all on the same page right now. Okay. There was a time in Israel's history when Israel faced this very same kind of time. It's described in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a time in Israel's history when everything was falling apart. And notice what the Bible says. Morality was falling apart. In those days, Israel had no, had no authority, no ruling authority, had no king. And what was the result of that? Everyone did as they saw fit. Does that sound like our culture today? There's nobody saying, hey, this is right and this is wrong. This is good. This is bad. This is better and best. And so everybody just does as they see fit. Why? Because to have morality, to pursue morality, you have to have It's necessary to have discipline to be able to pursue what is right over wrong and good over bad and what is better over best. And discipline has eroded. Therefore, because discipline has eroded, it's eroded because morality has eroded and we need to return. We need to return as Bible-believing Christians. We need to return to the fact that there are absolute objective standards of right and wrong, good and bad, better and best, and they've been given to us in this reliable book called the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You can believe this book because it stood the test of time. This is the truth, okay? People's opinions are not the truth. The the flow of culture is not the truth. This is what This is truth, okay? This is God's word to us, given to guide us in absolutes related to what is right, wrong, good, bad, better, and best in life. And so morality matters. Without this, discipline is undefinable. You have no discipline in a culture if there's no morality in a culture. Let me say that again. 
You will have no discipline in the culture if there's no morality in the culture. Our culture is becoming increasingly undisciplined because we're increasingly become, becoming less moral. And so morality is linked to discipline, always. Okay. Now, the Bible also refers to this breakdown in num- a number of places. I, I gave you one here in Judges. Let's look just at a, a few other places in Scripture where it talks about this breakdown. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, woe to those who call evil good. That's a step beyond because it's not just now that we're no longer accepting what is right and wrong. We're actually taking what is wrong and calling it right. Are you with me today? Okay. Woe to those, woe, everybody say woe. That means be careful, watch out, warning. Woe to those who call evil good and call good what? evil, so they're flipping everything on its head. The very thing that is good, culture starts saying, well, that's evil, and everything that's evil, they say, well, that's good. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's the next stage or the next step. When you reject morality, you you lose discipline, and also over time, that morality degenerates to such a degree that it's no longer we don't believe in right and wrong. You move to the place where actually you call what's wrong right and what's bad good. That's degeneration. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans as he talks about the breakdown of culture moving toward the last days. He says, they, the people who've now come down this degenerate degenerate pathway of losing morality, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And so Paul says, here's the problem. You get down a pathway when you get so far away from God that you exchange the truth about God for a lie. Things that aren't even true. He describes it further to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this. Pay attention to this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, folks, we're living in the last days. How do I know these are the last days? Because the last days started when Jesus ascended back to the right hand of God the Father. That's when the last days started. I don't know what level of last days we're in. I believe we're, we're certainly closer to Jesus' return than we've ever been before, obviously. We don't know when he's coming back again. But there will be, and I preached on this before, there will be a last day. There will be a day that will be, everything will be, or everything that you know as this world, as it exists, will no longer exist in the same way. That's what the Bible teaches us. You say, you got to be silly to believe it. No. All the prophecies of Scripture of the first coming of Jesus were fulfilled. All the promises of the second coming of Jesus will be fulfilled as well. He will come back again, and our world will be very different when he returns. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Let's take a look at these terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves. Everybody say check. Lovers of money. Everybody say check. Kind of hitting, batting a thousand so far, right? Okay. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, check, okay, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. 
Are we okay with that one? Okay. Have nothing to do with such people. That's not saying that you get rid of these relationships, but it means don't let that influence who you become as a person. You're called to be different. Why? Because you've made a decision to be a follower of Jesus, to be a believer in his word. And so it goes beyond just some kind of statement you make that doesn't affect the way you live. Following Jesus should affect the way that we think and the way that we live. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So discipline starts with morality. Morality matters. There is a right and there is a wrong. There is a good and there is a bad. There is a better and there is a best. We have to accept that or discipline will never, ever be a part of our lives. And when discipline fails to be a part of your life, resilience no longer is developed at the same level in your life. Here's the second thing today, okay? Right living, that is living according to morality, is a choice. Discipline is important because discipline really moves us toward right, good, better, and best choices. Let me say that again. Discipline is the very thing that moves you. And if you're a parent, your child, disciplining you and yourself, self-discipline, and a proper parental discipline in the home, what is it all about is to move you and to move your child to making a choice about right living. That's all discipline is, okay? Discipline is something that externally or in an environment moves us toward making better choices in our life. If you say, for example, I need to get healthy, I need to eat right. You ever said that before? I need to eat right. I'm not stepping on any toes, hopefully, by this. But to say you need to eat right means that you've got to, you know, there's a better way for you to eat. And so it's a better choices that you need to make. Instead of going to the fast food place, it might be better to have a salad. And so it's a choice that I make, and I discipline myself based upon a right choice. And so discipline applies to moving us toward what is not always pleasant. I'd rather have the fast food hamburger. It would feel a whole lot better to me, at least initially, maybe not afterwards, but it would feel better to me initially. But instead of doing that, I'm going to do what I know is the right thing because discipline is saying yes to the things I need to say yes to and no to the things I need to say no to. Everybody tracking with me? So discipline is a key part of this. And to be resilient, you got to have this thing called discipline. Let's use an example that I used in the first weekend of this message. Do you remember me talking about Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember that part of the story that I gave you back on the first message? If you missed the first message in the series, go back and review it again. Daniel goes to Babylon. He's a Jew. He makes the decision to discipline himself and not eat the food that the king wanted him to eat. Of course, he becomes healthier because of it. The three Hebrew children are told to bow to an image of gold. They said, nope, not going to bow. God's able to deliver us. If he doesn't deliver us, throw us into the fiery furnace. They were thrown in. They had the resiliency to resist idolatry. Daniel, later on in chapter 6, you see him at a time when he's told to pray to the king. He says, I don't pray to the king. I pray to one and only God, the true God, Jehovah, turns to his face toward Jerusalem and prays three times a day. Even when he was told not to pray, he has resilience to make the right decision. Why? Because he disciplined himself. He made the choice because he knew what was right. 
So knowing what is right is key to disciplining yourself in the right direction, and that is always a choice, okay? God speaks this to his people in the book of Deuteronomy. We looked at this a few weeks ago. I'm going to bring it back to you again today. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. So he's imploring them to choose discipline themselves in the right direction. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of this is about making the right choice because discipline involves knowing the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is better, and what is what is good, bad, better, and best. And and choosing the right thing. And discipline as a parent, discipline as a parent is helping your children. Listen closely. Discipline as a parent is not about getting mad at your children about things they do wrong. That's not discipline, okay? Although you may get frustrated at times with your children about the fact that they're, they're doing the wrong things. Discipline is not about getting angry at your children about things and punishing them because they've done something wrong. Real discipline always has the goal of helping your child be trained to make better decisions in their life, okay? Are you with me on that? Okay. That's all discipline is. It's the same way God treats you, is that when God disciplines you and me, He disciplines us so we'll make better decisions in the future, okay? And that's what, a, that's what child discipline is all about. As a parent, you have the responsibility to help your child learn to make better decisions. You know Why? Because they're stupid. Okay. Now use that in quotes, okay? Please don't quote me on that, okay? The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, okay? If you think your child has the ability to make great decisions for their life, just ask them, do you want broccoli or ice cream? That's all you have to ask them, okay? What are they going to say? Hey, I want the ice cream, okay? Well, you just had it five times yesterday. Yeah, but I want it again, okay? I mean, you take them to a store, you give them $10, and you watch the kind of stuff they will be tempted to buy, okay? This foolishness, the Bible says, is bound up in the heart of a child. That's why God gave them parents, okay? And the problem is we got, we got parents that are letting their children drag them around, okay? And influencing their parents' decision instead of parents teaching their children the right way to, ch to make choices for their lives. Are you with me? See, when you became a parent, you, your child came along as far more than a tax deduction. Your child came along because God entrusted that child to you to train them to make good decisions with their life. Now, you can't control all the decisions they're going to make when they become adults. Even God had a problem with that. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, okay? 
You can't control everything they're going to do when they get older. But what you can do is you can set them up to the best of your ability to make the best decisions possible and then release them to God. But that is a responsibility that you have as a parent. You are called to be their parent. I will say this repeatedly in this series together. You are not called first and foremost to be your child's friend. You're called first and foremost to be your child's parent. Okay. You need... Your kids need you to be the parent in their life. And that you can't parent without discipline. It's impossible because discipline is not about punishing. It's about helping a child make better decisions the same way that God treats you and me. You say, how do I know this? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Have you ever been disciplined by God? I know I have, okay. If you haven't been, you need to talk to him about it because evidently you're ignoring something, okay. Because God disciplines all his kids, okay. And he disciplines us not to punish us for something we did wrong. God's focus is never on what you did. God's focus is always on what you need to become, okay? What you need to do in your future. So God disciplines us so that we might share in his holiness. Or I might say it this way, so that we might make better decisions. That was a dumb decision. Don't do that one again. This is the way that I want you to do it in the future. So God's discipline is training us to make better choices. The same is true for a parent. Look at this. Proverbs 29, 17. Read it together with me aloud and loudly. Discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. Do what to your children? So that is a requirement of parental responsibility. It is not an option. It's not something that would be uh, uh, only you do it when you feel like it or when you get frustrated or angry. It's a way of living, living a disciplined pattern of life so you're training them. Notice again, we find this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Here it's speaking very specifically to fathers. Uh, I could do an entire message on that alone because I believe one of the issues that we need to strengthen in our culture today is the role of fathers in the home. I think fathers in the home, you make a big difference, okay? And so to all your dads here, I want you to know you're important to your child, okay? Don't leave all the child rearing to mom, okay? They need a dad in their life. Mom's very important. Mom's a nurturing part of the, of the equation. Mom also is very important to bring about discipline as well. But there's something about a dad that uh, when you step into your child's life in a loving way, it makes a difference. That's not even in my notes. That's completely free of charge to you today. Okay? All right? So the purpose of discipline. Don't forget this part. What's the purpose of discipline? To teach us how to make better what? choices. That's all discipline is. It's the way God does you and the way God wants you to do uh, with your children and the responsibility that you have. Let me take you to my third point today. Here it is. Discipline addresses thoughts and actions, not feelings. Thoughts and what? When it comes to discipline, 
The focus of discipline is never on your feelings or on your child's feelings. What you don't want to do is train your child to live by their feelings, nor should you live by your feelings. Because the, the goal of discipline is to build, I'll put another word on the board, so many words I could talk about today, but I'm just going to throw this one out, a lot of different concepts here for us. Discipline, cumul cumulative discipline produces character. I'll say that again. Cumulative discipline produces character. You have more character, the more disciplined you are. So the more you accumulate discipline in your life, the more character there's going to be in your life. And character is who you habitu who habitually are in your thoughts and in your actions. It's been said that character is who you are in the dark. It's who you are when no one else is around. And so character really is who you are internally in terms of how you're making decisions. So discipline leads you to choose right over wrong, good over bad, better over best, and to do it habitually, you then form character, and it's focused on the way that you think and the way that you act, not the way that you feel, and that's what produces resilience. Why? Because an emotionally-based life will never be a resilient life. I'll give you a lot of different things today, but remember this. An emotionally-based life is never going to be resilient. Why? Because your emotions are, are, are not trustworthy. Your emotions drag you all over the place. You can feel one thing one moment and something else the next moment, and, and, and they're not a, not a good way to live your life because they oftentimes will lead you astray. Feelings, in fact, quite often aren't even facts. You feel something, but it doesn't, just because you feel it doesn't make it true, okay? And so many times we're being led along by our feelings rather than by our thoughts and actions, and what we must understand is that thoughts and actions will take control of your feelings if you'll control what you think and control how you act, you will feel a lot better. Okay. And we get the caboose in front of the train, our feelings in front of the train sometimes. We let our feelings drag us around. Feelings make good passengers for your life, but they never make a good driver. Okay. You can take your feelings. Everybody has emotions. Everybody has feelings. Let them ride in the back seat. And every now and then, I know you're back there, I can feel you back there, but you don't get in the driver's seat, okay? Because if you were to let your feelings in the driver's seat, there'd be a lot of days you wouldn't go to work, there'd be a lot of days your kids wouldn't go to school, there'd be a lot of days they wouldn't do their homework, there'd be a lot of days that a lot of things wouldn't happen that need to happen. Why? Because they're being controlled by emotion. Our whole culture, you listen to the popular songs, and most of, many of the songs push us toward a life of living by our feelings. And we're never instructed in Scripture to live by our feelings. We acknowledge them. We can let them sit in the back seat. It's okay. I know you're back there. I can feel you back there. But you're not getting in the driver's seat of my life. What's going to get in the driver's seat of my life is what is right and what is good and what is better and what is best in my thinking and in my actions. I'm not going to be controlled by you in the back seat being a back seat driver for my life telling me what I'm going to do. And your kids have to learn this as well. So you want to build. See, discipline helps your child build the right way to think. Because if their thinking is healthy, there's a greater chance that their life will be healthy. Amen? If their actions are healthy and good, it's a greater chance that their life is going to be healthy and good. So we make that choice. 
We don't put them in the driver's seat. Look at what Paul said about this, okay? We're just about done here. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, that's us, okay? I plead with you. That's a very strong word. I'm begging you, okay? This is extremely important for you to understand. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. That is, make sure your bodies have been presented to God, that you're living for God, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then he continues in verse number two. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. What are the behaviors and customs of this world? We talked about it a moment ago, the erosion of, 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 of morality, the ways and customs of this world to be carried along in life by your feelings, by your emotions. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by, read the rest, write this next phrase with me, by doing what? Changing the way you think. It doesn't say changing the way you feel. It says changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So your thinking results in an understanding of God's will, which is always good and pleasing and perfect. So in your life, what you and I need to discipline first is our mind. Don't let your mind go where it doesn't need to go. You have control over your thinking, okay? And what you want to do with your children is to help them when you see them thinking in a way that is contrary to what's good for them and contrary to a good choice for their life. You want to help them, not jump on them and, and scold them, but to help them, school them in a healthy way of thinking. Because the healthier your thinking, the healthier their thinking will be, right? And for some of us, we've got to do a little work on that because we were raised, many, many were raised in very dysfunctional homes, you don't need to raise your hand here, but if you were raised in a dysfunctional home, you understand that the thinking in your family was really goofed up. And so you went into the world thinking, having a skewed vision of what was even normal. You didn't even know what normal was. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay. Yeah, you know it about your neighbor, right? Yeah. And so we have to work a little harder as parents to make sure we're getting on the right track and the right way of thinking so that we can actually help raise a different generation because God wants, hear me today, boy, this is a word for somebody. God wants you to be the turnaround generation for your family. Okay? God wants you to be the turnaround generation for your family. Some of you, man, if you look back on your family background, it's like dysfunction, dysfunction, real dysfunction dysfunction, horrible dysfunction. I mean, you're not even going to come close to Ancestry.com. You don't want to know, okay, about all that stuff, okay? But God saved you, and God redeemed you, and God washed you in his blood, and God put his spirit inside of you, and God brought you into his kingdom as a new creation in Christ. And he says, now, I want you to be the turnaround generation so that going from this time forward, you leave a different legacy. Your past doesn't have to define you, nor the past of your family history does it have to define you. No, you can establish a new legacy, but it starts with changing the way you think, okay? But it's not just the way you think. Romans 12, 21 says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That's actions, okay? So... 
discipline. With this, we're going to conclude today. Put a big old comma right there. And so we'll continue with this theme next weekend. Your thoughts and your actions have to be disciplined. They're far more important than your emotions. And when you learn to discipline thought and action yourself and in the lives of your children, then what you're doing is you're setting them up for character. And character is an habitual way of living life and a dimension where there's morality to life so that you're putting them on the right path. And, and with, with character always comes resilience. Are we good today? Got something to take home with you? Hope so. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We're so grateful that you've given us practical instructions in Scripture. Lord, you didn't leave us without understanding. You gave us everything we need to understand in the pages of your word. And so we pray that, uh, Lord, we would fall in love with your word like never before. It would be the guideline of our life, that the world would not shape our thinking, but, Lord, your word would shape our thinking. And, Lord, where we're off, where we've missed the mark, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for bringing us back on track even today. Seal this in our heart by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus. I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.